0: Welcome to the Work and Play podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young. And today I have a really special, special, special guest, Benjamin. And pronounce your last name for me. I'm wanting. I'm wanting? Yeah. Close. I'm, want- I'm, wanting. I'm, wanting. I'm wanting. I'm wanting. No, moi. I'm, want. I'm wanting. Mm-hmm. Got it. Benjamin, I'm wanting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There we go. See, all my African-American friends out there, you can <laughs> do it. Your tongue will do it. So let's do it. Um, so on the Work and Play podcast, we are going to have a conversation about my boss friends, their career exploration their journeys, their wins, their highs, their lows, and all the things in the middle that make their careers what they are today. So today, would you mind starting off with just introducing yourself? Who's in the room with me? Who are we listening to?
2: Hey, everyone. This is Benjamin. I'm watching. Um, I am a healthcare consultant. Uh, I've been working in that space off and on. Like, I started my career in that space and I moved to like data analytics, also in healthcare. But right now, I'm back in healthcare consulting and it looks like something I'm planning to be in for, for the time being and for a while. Um, have a bachelor's in business administration from Emory University, Gorsweta Business School, and I have a master's in public health from Emory as well. Actually, I have an Emory hat on, so you know, I'm keeping, represent. I'm keeping it consistent. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I have a master's in public health from uh, the Rollins School of Public Health, which is also Emory, and um, healthcare policy and management.
0: Okay, there's so much to get into. One thing for sure is, is that I have always associated you with the Emory part, right? Mm-hmm. And I never knew how much we might even have in common from the data analytics part. Oh yeah, because I, I thought. Maybe I didn't know enough about like specifically what you did at, at Emory so maybe let's cut let's go all the way back to when we first met. I think we met like by way of at friends at UGA, yeah. right? Good times and seriously. So tell me a little bit about how you picked your major. And then where you even thought you were going to go back then, back when you were Yeah.
2: So my major, um, when I got into Emory, because a lot of people don't know this, a lot of people know Emory as like a a school for medicine. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like their business school is actually one of the best schools like in the South. Mm -hmm. And they are one of the few schools that has an undergraduate business program. And it's like one of the better ones in the South as well. So, you know, when I got in, because I didn't know any of this when I got in, but once I figured it out and found out like it really interested me because I think business is something where, you know, we live in a capitalist society some people might have their beef with that but it is what it is so business is always something that's gonna be in need because that's one thing about my um my logic when it comes to my career like always do something that's gonna be needed because you know grew up in the recession i saw how it affected like my family people around me and i was like i always need something that's gonna be needed and that's gonna come up later as i talk but yeah. So when I was at Emory, I got into the business school, uh, got a bachelor's in strategic management and venture consulting, oh. which is, yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting stuff. That was, I decided to go that route because originally I was doing marketing, mm-hmm. but then I found when I started doing like strategy like that, it was really interesting because you know, strategy, you learn about different industries, you learn about different um, companies and how they work. And it was just like, even when I wasn't at school or like in class, I just would think about, okay, like how does this company do this? Like mm-hmm. why is Facebook free? Free? Why is Twitter free? You know stuff like yeah. that. So just learning about like the value model of these things like really interested me. So that's the path that I decided to go down. And um, after I graduated undergrad, going back to always wanting to have something that is in need, I went to the School of Public Health because I knew, like I knew since I was a kid, I did not want to be a doctor. But I I know that you know healthcare is something that's always going to be in need. Mm-hmm. And so my sister actually did public health and she told me about it. It sounded interesting, so I decided to do that with a whole focus on healthcare policy and management because the management kind of aligned with the business aspect okay. of things. Okay. Um, so it was actually interesting because policy and management is typically more um, like government. You go into the government, you craft policy, you do. Yeah. like. Right. But my first internship, um, I worked for a hospitalist company who staffs hospitals with like physicians. And like in that role, I learned data analytics. Right. And like, I was like, oh, because I was never big into math growing up, but it was it made sense. It was simple enough. And like, I really liked it. So things kind of changed from there. And so I started getting more into like the analytics side of things. And the beauty is, you know, analytics are just numbers. Like a lot of people know numbers, but when you're able to put context behind them, you become valuable. And so that's, yeah, that's where my career has been. Um, I originally started off at a company called Triage Consulting. They did uh, like, uh, what's it called? Revenue Cycle, which it's is, is a healthcare term but it's basically like how insurance pays hospitals
0: okay yeah how so, do they pay hospitals
2: <laughs> so it's complicated it's funny like you'll see people post a bill from a hospital and say like look what this hospital charged me it's so crazy because the way it's set up is that every insurance company has contracts with different hospitals uh-huh. and depending on like what happened like what you were billed for they'll say it doesn't matter you could put a million dollars we're gonna pay you guys two thousand dollars for this procedure it makes no sense
0: no sense right but do no no they think at all. it makes is there an algorithm it, on their side? Yeah,
2: there's an algorithm on that okay. side because they have to make a profit, and also they think about the fact that a lot of people who they see, because a hospital has to take care of everyone until they're at least like good enough to leave, mm-hmm. and they know <clears throat> a good number of people they see will never be able to pay. Yeah. So they've calculated, like based off of that, like what they need to break even, what they need to make a profit, and that's what they do. So uh, that company they dealt mostly with um, underpayments or like just someone um, an insurance company didn't pay for someone's claim for whatever reason, so they would like go after them and look for that and that company very like rigid I did not enjoy my time at all so I left I went to Emory Healthcare which is funny enough different from Emory University um, because healthcare is like the hospital system Mm -hmm. and I was a data analytics um, or decision support analyst for their anesthesiology department
0: right now that's the part I was looking at your LinkedIn Uh and I was like decision support like that sounds like a strategic the, the strategic role in itself, but and it also sounds kind of fun. So. It could
2: be, it okay. could be. It's um so decision support. It kind of sounds like what it is. Like you do things to help the people who make the decisions, essentially. And for me, it was like because everyone's big on like uh, like analytics and decision making. Yeah. So I would run the numbers to say like, okay, this is where we should go. This is like what we should do as far as the budget for this surgery center, things like that. Um, and also just like dealing with stuff related. Like uh, healthcare quality, um, it was a very. I enjoyed that role very much. Uh, it was something where you know it was project based, so I just think did things as needed. It wasn't like the same thing every day, which yeah. I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I did that for two years and so most. And currently I am at Booz Allen Hamil- Hamilton. Went back into healthcare consulting where uh, Booz Allen Hamilton does like a lot of, um, all of their, well, almost all their clients are actually like federal government or governmental. So I've done projects with the CDC, done projects with like um, ARC, which is the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Done projects with CMS, Medicare, Medicaid. Done projects, and currently I'm actually on the um, Department of Health, or like basically Veterans Health. Um, okay. That's, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting stuff. I I'm not sure it. if I could talk to them about too much of it. But, okay. Yeah, <laughs> of it,
0: but... <laughs> that makes a lot of sense because I was going as soon as you said that, like, right? my, like, my eyes <laughs> I should
2: probably like you know hit up my HR and be like, hey, can I can I talk about stuff on this? But, yeah. well, it's
0: okay. You're much more interesting than the projects themselves, so I'm sure that we'll get a lot of mm-hmm. information. from like your journey along the way yeah so you mentioned um and thank you so much for sharing your mm-hmm. background I, I kind of i kind of get a gist but i'm, I'm gonna have to ask of course a lot of so. people
2: understand so i'm glad to explain
0: okay thank you so you talked about so one thing that i do understand is that there is beauty in knowing how to do the numbers yes. but the fun actually comes when being able to tell a story with the data right yes. so if you could walk us through a, like one of the most interesting data projects that you remember working on or just A quick little story that you found in the numbers in any of your jobs, what does that look like in in any of your strategic roles?
2: Okay. That's a good question. Um, So a lot of times at Emory, those types of things came up because, you know, you're working because I'm not a doctor, like I don't know anesthesia, but you're working with all these anesthesiologists where, you know, they're in the actual surgery, like they're the ones putting the anesthesia in, like checking all the vitals because that's their biggest role actually. Like once you put someone under, like they're under, is making sure like they stay under and like everything's operating as it should. So like a lot of times they have a lot of numbers a lot of data in there right and you can't really say to like because the thing about data I'm sure you know this from your analytics experience is that people have it but they have no idea what to do with it right like it's just a lot of stuff out there. yes so I remember uh, there was one project where because um, you know when someone comes <laughs> in for their pre-op they do they take all their vital signs and one of the vital signs they take is their A1C score which is okay. A1C like basically tells you if you're diabetic pre-diabetic It's basically your blood sugar level, right? And so what we're seeing was that a lot of people, like, they take the scores, but they weren't doing anything. But an A1C of, like, say, seven is, like, you're diabetic. Anything that's, like, I think 10 or 13 and above, and it's, like, you need to see somebody right now. You're about to lose a foot. So um, I remember I ran a project where, you know, we just had to parse out all this data and, like, get the A1C scores. And what they did was they actually automated um, to send, like, a prompt to the patients before they even came to surgery to let them know, we saw this. Like, while you're going through your pre-op, you need to do something about this. And these were people who had no idea. Like, they were diabetic. I don't know why it wasn't caught before. Because a lot of people, like, that we dealt with, they go to surgery, but they don't go to their regular visits. They don't see their doctors on a regular basis.
0: Right. But it's,
2: like, something's <laughs> actually wrong here.
0: And they have the test done. Sorry Mm -hmm. to interrupt, but they have the test done. They get their A1C levels Mm -hmm. tested in that momentary basis. But because they're there for whatever, like the surgery or whatever, and and it's not particularly due to their A1C levels, they don't address it in that moment? Okay.
2: Cause it's like, if I'm coming in for appendectomy, like right. t- do my appendectomy, yeah. you know, but it's like these, this is the only time this guy is going to see a doctor period for the next two years. Got it. So he'll never know his they one C see aside from us. Okay. So it was just something that we, and also like the A1C blood sugar, diabetes, like complicates the surgery. So it's good for the doctors to know, but you'd be surprised. Like we were sending prompts out to people and there were so many people that are like, Oh, I had no idea. And I'm like, you have full blown diabetes. Wow. This isn't even like you are, you need to like watch what you eat. It's like, you have have. diabetes
1: yeah
0: so you you did a project essentially where there was the data was already being captured yes the a1c levels were already being captured and you guys sent a trigger out before the client's next appointment? Well,
2: it will, you, this is all like um, pre-op. So this is pre-op. before the surgery is actually done.
0: Got it. So yeah. there's essentially two appointments. One is the pre-op yes. and then the actual surgery. surgery yep. And so typically what would happen at the pre-op is they would get these vitals and they weren't doing anything with the data. Yeah. They would just have the, the the information and then you would go and get your, your surgery. Exactly. So what you guys did was you triggered a communication to say, hey, this is the information that we found. And now, this is what you can do before you get into the the um, your appointment. But also, this easy. is just important for you to know yeah, exactly. in general. Exactly. Like, you should probably go to the doctor about this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. That is really good. Yeah. So, it's really powerful, like you said, like how when data isn't being utilized, how many people suffer. And then you're also talking about a preventative strategy. Like, exactly. we never think about ho- hospitals trying to prevent anything. Exactly. So, it sounds like what you're saying is, and this is a, a hospital initiative? Yeah,
2: this was hospital. Wow.
0: So, who took it upon themselves to, like, who, how did this even come so about? So,
2: the way my role worked, uh, I typically work with the doctors because they're, like, you know, the subject matter experts. And a lot of the doctors at Emory, um, they also double as, like, researchers. Mm-hmm. Um officially like they all have like research <clears throat> like associate professor they have all they all have professor titles mm-hmm. so yeah. sometimes it's like they just want to do something for the business itself sometimes they're like i want to write a paper about this so let's look into this mm-hmm. like there's just a, there was a lot of different stuff um but typically like i would work with the doctors because they would come to me and say oh i was thinking about this is this possible and then i'd have to look through the data figure out is this possible and like you know make it happen
0: yeah, yeah. one thing that you <laughs> mentioned uh earlier in your career your or I guess really in your education, was that you chose... Well, first you chose business because mm-hmm. you knew it was more like a necessity. Yeah. And um, and then you went from marketing to... And tell me the degree again. I was like, sure. what do you think degree? <laughs> yeah, in? I mean, basically
2: it's strategy, but the official name is strategic management and venture consulting. Yes. So, because, you know, mm-hmm. strategy is... It's, it's a bit <laughs> ambiguous, you know? Right. It's like, we want to do something or like, we want to be better. We don't know how we're going to be better. Right. But, you know, so that's what strategy is. And venture consulting, that part of it is like also with the ambiguity, like you're starting out a new venture, like where you go from here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. So, and that really piqued my interest because I took one like strategic management class and, you know, learn about like Porter's Five Forces. What's that? Oh, okay. So Porter's Five Forces is a framework. Michael Porter is like a, he was a professor at Harvard.
1: Okay.
2: And it's a framework to basically when you're doing analysis of a company, mm-hmm. the first thing you want to do is like do analysis of the industry that the company works in. Okay. So he has five forces. It's, um, and I might not remember them all. It's like buyer power, supplier mm-hmm. power, uh, rivalry within the industry. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have to, I don't know if I can Google it. But yeah, it's a couple we're gonna different things. We're
0: going to drop it in the comments. Don't yeah. worry. It's a couple of different things, changes. but
2: it's like when you, and they rate all those five things from like uh weak to high. Right. Okay. So say for example, something like, uh let me say the diamond industry. Right. So the diamond industry, if you are say you're like a diamond provider you make, basically you're De Beers. Right. Um In that industry because De Beers basically owns all the diamonds, there's very low rivalry. And when you know there's low rivalry, that means you can like do whatever with your cause. They have no choice but to go to you. Right. For example. It's
0: a monopoly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But something
2: like say groceries, they have very high rivalry because is it that big of a deal to you if you get your cereal from like Kroger or Publix? Mm-hmm. Um, so in something like that, like there's, you don't have the margins to, to really drive up prices. So that's just how you start out. Um, to basically assess an industry and like the industry dynamics. Yeah. And it's important because let's say you're, I'm consulting for like a company who does like, they're going into a new industry, right? They don't okay. know what they're doing. Yeah. And it's like, that's just an easy way to just like group the industry and like you start from there. That's just the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? So it was really cool when I learned about it to just be like, Oh wow. Like, you know, you hear about all these people and all these different businesses, but there is actually frameworks and models for them to make sense of what they do. And it's yeah. not as, crazy as it seems.
0: Yeah, it sounds so micro. And so I yeah. okay, so, it's, they're, they're, my brain is going so many different ways right now but um, so you were saying that you got into, you know, the strategic and um, venture planning. Did I say that right? Venture management. Venture management. Mm-hmm. And you really got enlightened there. So for the audience and even for myself, tell us where you're from.
2: Originally, so, uh, I'm from Ghana, West Africa. I was born in Kumasi, Ghana. And like, I came here when I was five. So I've been, you know, I've been in America for a very long time, but still keep the ties with Ghana. Um, going back, hopefully this this December, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: yeah.
0: The, well, the reason I mention it is because, one in terms of your choice it's a very necessity based Mm -hmm. decision at a very young age to be like that's a mature decision and then to even have the ability to go into such a macro focused degree and back in your bachelor's uh, program is also a pretty big decision. But as you develop like your personality and, and like who you were in in this country, they you, you said what age did you five, you? I five. So you are pretty much yeah, I'm based uh, in America. Yeah, <laughs> so I was gonna ask like how like how where did like your passion? What were you like super super duper interested in? Or did you think ever like
2: so it's funny because you know when you're kid they're always like what do you want to be when you grow up and I remember since second grade I'm just like doctor because that's what it sounds good yeah but I never had a passion for that Mm -hmm. and like going growing up like um the subject that I was best in was actually like writing reading and writing and yeah. actually social studies. like I really enjoyed that and it's funny because you know African dad are like get into math get into science and I kind of heated that because one thing I realized is that you can still follow your passions outside of work
1: absolutely yeah
2: because it's unfortunate to say but like writing you might be one of the ones that gets lucky mm-hmm. but it's uh, you're taking a big risk so I was just like you know what let me focus do what I need to do at least like I'll be settled in my career I'll be making good money and then like I'll be able to pursue my passions otherwise like you just heard me playing the piano like I learned that by myself yeah. you know because I have a job because analytics if you're good at it it's pretty simple you mm-hmm. kind of just make things run you have a lot of free time yeah you have good money to like pursue your interests, and so that's my my um whole mindset when it comes to work Is like like I want to do a good job like I, I like to do good work but this does not have to be my life I don't have to put my passions into Work like I could pursue my other passions elsewhere, and work can just be like um, a means of doing that for me,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. And also, like I mentioned before, like the recession, like my parents, like you know, they came here, weren't educated, they actually got their education as they came here. But you know, just saw a lot of struggle because it's funny, like they say the recession hit in like 2008, but we were in a recession since like 04, you know. Mm. So, you seeing like that struggle, I was like, I don't want to struggle like that, yeah. and that's in like that really impacted me to be like, okay, what's something that's always gonna be in need or something that no matter what even if like the whole economy crashes like someone's gonna need this right and so business and healthcare were that for me and that's why I decided to focus on both and like I enjoy it like I can't say like I go into work and I hate my job because there are people who are like I can't do this for another day but I need this check like I like it enough it can be interesting it can be um, fulfilling because you do make an impact you know because for me especially with some of the things I do you're removed from like seeing patients seeing people but you come back and like a doctor says like oh we had this patient who didn't even know they had diabetes and now they're like starting on insulin that makes you feel good absolutely what would you say
0: is one of the most mis like the largest misconceptions of like what you do on the from the outside looking in
2: uh i I mean i have no idea what people even like conceive of what i do you know Um, (laughs) i know
0: for me looking at it i'm just like it's it's more like a black hole honestly and i'm it's getting more interested in that you guys actually do make an impact because so many people are in jobs where Well, especially when it comes to data, depending on where you are in your data career, you might not even see the end result of the data
1: actually being.
2: And and that's true. That's a good point. Um, I think it depends on what you're using the data for. Mm -hmm. Like everything we do, or everything I've done, it wasn't like data for the sake of data. Let's just see what this looks like. Mm -hmm. It's like we want to do something. Let's see what this looks like to see how we should do this. Yes, like always. Like Like, um, I did um a dashboard for example for Emory's Pain Center Mm because um I guess just to explain like. Anesthesiologists, there's there's a certain specialty within anesthesiology called like pain. It's about um, pain doctors, I guess, where let's say your knee's hurting, drugs aren't helping, they actually go and do localized injections for that pain. Okay. And they were just having a lot of issues with their finances to the point where they're like, we don't even know if this is viable. So, you know, and also like their quality because a lot of patients were not happy with them. So to aggregate that and to like put it out there, you know, and then like my bosses make decisions on, based on this, this is what we think we should do. And when you see like, okay, they're getting better reviews or like their finances are looking better, You know, you help someone out because you know this place is gonna stay open and like continue to serve these people who truly need this. You know, so it's something where it's like you're not just sitting in the room just you know punching away at numbers, but at times you get to see like what I've done actually has led to something, and that's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a real good feeling.
0: It sounds like your career has started with necessity. Yeah, and then you got a bit of like intrigue and passion when you found your your major. And now you find yourself in a position where, even though it doesn't sound like you were like searching for an impactful role, you're in one of the more- It kind of just
2: happens.
1: Yeah. Like
2: I think, and that's the thing about healthcare, because even say like someone who's a a janitor in a hospital, you have no idea how big of an impact they make. Just when someone, you know, you have cancer, you feel terrible, but you walk into this hospital and like, it looks clean. Your room is nice. Your bed is made. That makes an impact. So I kind of think like, it's just the nature of the industry that you're going to make an impact anyway. Yeah, uh, which I'm very happy about because it's not like I'm just trying to help this company like achieve more efficiency and make more money. Yeah, like,
0: optimization roles can
2: be yeah.
0: Boring. Like yeah. you're only moving the needle when you're in big companies, you're only moving the needle so a little far. bit. But it's like yeah. that
2: little bit for them is like a billion dollars, so it matters. Right. But
0: absolutely, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And when you can say that on your resume, <laughs> hey, that little you know, two, two point two percent with at least X, percent, X billion dollars. So I'm curious along your journey you you have been very fortunate to find yourself in a position that's very impactful mm-hmm. to the world to people individually and along your journey um it seems very smooth but can you explain like <laughs> one of those uh you know the first time you ever got a no or the first time you ever had to shift your your uh perspective? What did that look like?
2: So I I think you'll notice I haven't talked too much about my first job at uh, triox Consulting because mm. it was not a good time. Because actually, when I think about it, that one, you know, you kind of make an impact because you're getting more money for hospitals. And so they're able to do more with it in theory. But the job itself was not very good. Um I don't know if you're familiar. I think there's a whole industry of like first job companies for people fresh out of college.
0: Yeah, my my job is one of those. Yeah, you know, they hire BAs it. right yeah, out right out of, out of college.
2: College, uh-huh. you've never had a job before, you just happen to be getting paid.
0: Right. So
2: they and they tell you like, oh, you know, we have like a like skee ball in the break room and you're like, right. oh, okay. <laughs> So that company, um, yeah, it just had a lot of issues. And like, they're also, in hindsight, like racial issues. That's why it was one of those things I was saying, like, I realized more in hindsight. Because it was basically, the the company was two, two-tiered. Uh, you had people who were like consultants, so they would actually go to hindsight. They would get like the claims and like do the things related to the claims to audit them. Mm-hmm. And then you had like the people who are analysts who would like actually be doing the follow-up calls and checking in on the claims as they go through the process. Okay. And I was in the analyst role. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to move over to Consulting role, um, which they allowed after like a year. But there's just a lot of politics because I think in the company itself, because you know, you have a bunch of college kids and they can have, they can be immature in like how they think. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them thought less of like the analysts because they're like, oh, I'm a consultant, you're an analyst. Mm-hmm. So I think that division had it in them to try to be like, look, we have people who have MPHs, we have people who are smart, people mm-hmm. who are articulate. So even though I wanted to move, they did not want me to move. Okay. And it, it's one of, that was probably like the lowest point in my professional career because when you've done everything you need to and they still won't move you and they will try to come up with any excuse to try to justify it. It kind of has you doubting yourself, yeah. right? Like, can I really do it? Like, I had a manager actually tell me when I was going up for promotion and I was promoted technically to like a, a higher analyst role, but not to the consultant role. She told me like, we don't want to set you up for failure as okay. if to say, if I go to, yeah. you, you,
0: you wouldn't, you wouldn't do well. If we, I wouldn't yeah.
2: do it yeah. yeah, And we don't, don't want to
0: take a chance on you. So it does, it does kind of bring that, that it
2: brings one. you down. And like it, it hit me because I was like, dang, maybe they're right. Like maybe I am, I'm not. ready for this you know and it's your first job so you've never really you haven't had the opportunity to go elsewhere and work with bosses who are are like oh wow that's amazing that you did that you know so that was probably the lowest point i started noticing too like all of the black people in the company were either being hired into that role the analyst role or being demoted into that role it was insane
0: so when you say hindsight is twenty twenty, I was going to ask like if you had a feeling or sense of what was at play and it sounds like
2: so the thing about that is so you got like the whole process of the politics around that played out like over the course of like maybe six months six to nine months right and so at first it's just like oh you know you didn't get promoted and I'm like well I guess I could have done more I probably could have carried more you know been not been as late as much stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then you're you're up for promotion again and it's like they do it again and there's no reason and then you start noticing like oh wow like all the black people are like sitting right next to me in this role doing the same thing I'm doing I worked with this guy when he was a consultant like he was great why would he get demoted to this you know and so that I mean luckily for me like I left not too long after that like I went to Emory but you know when you see something like that towards the back end, when you're about to leave, and then you go back and look, you're like, maybe what happened to me was related to that, you know. And also me, I don't know if it's because like I'm African, because I like Africans again have a different mindset about race, so mm-hmm. from like you know normal Black Americans, mm-hmm. where we think we are not above it, but it's it doesn't affect affects you. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, you've yeah. seen it. Yeah, you've seen it. Yeah, I seen yeah. your face. And I, I mean, I've, no, I've
0: just had we've, we've had many. There's you know there's a, there's a conversation. In the African American and in, in the African community, about like you know how how systematic racism actually really truly affects, affects us. us, and yeah. then um even one of our our friends, our mutual mm-hmm. friends, didn't really even know, like didn't think, hey, I am a black person because of like just not identifying with it until yeah. the police actually said, okay, yeah. y'all are you, all you, the you, same. You, know,
2: you, you, you <laughs> right. black is the right, you blacker in the
0: right? So it sounds like that was your pinnacle moment. That when I was,
2: realized. I mean, I've been here long enough. Like I grew up in Stone Mountain which is like all black I've been here long enough where I and
0: it's also where the KKK headquarters is yeah
2: Yeah. but it's like things change they have not they're not there no more like Stone Mountain my high school literally we have one Mexican guy everybody else was black so but yeah, so like I identify and it's like I'm not as, because I have a feeling who you're talking about and I'm not like as, um I don't know what's a word to say, but you know, I'm more mindful of that than they would be. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just, it just blew my mind, I guess, to see it so blatantly. I think it's one of those things where it's like, you see it, but like, is that really happening? Like, that's yeah. crazy. You know yeah. what I
0: mean? Yeah. You, we're in a time, and it's funny that you bring this up because we're in a time where we're talking about like, is America racist? Yeah. And that systematic racist, it's, it's as blatant as it is, it doesn't always look. Like that from the person who's it's like gaslighting. It, it, it really is. It's really
2: gaslighting. It, it's
0: and it's such a it's such a slippery topic that if you don't stay focused on the the topic at hand, we can we can start to sparse it out and say like, oh, this has happened to you know the yeah. aggregate. Especially when yeah. we talk about data, right? We yeah. can start to talk about aggregate
1: like, it out. <laughs> you know, yes,
0: literally, and, and not focus on the fact that. This specific set of people is experiencing, uh, like entry level jobs, yes. um, below average promotion opportunities. Yep. And and it sounds like that's exactly what you experienced.
2: That's exactly what I experienced. A little
0: bit of a traumatic, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it was a bit, for me, my first experience, which, it, which it wasn't race related, but it, your because first traumatic experience, no, your first, okay. just your first corporate traumatic experience is just, it's just you getting here your notches for whatever it is Mm. but back to you (laughs) Um, so you of course have developed in your professional professional identity and i'm just curious now that you've become aware of certain things and certain nuances like you said hindsight is 2020 yeah how have you taken some lessons along the way into your new career
2: i think i have i think um one like more than anything because that's why i started with talking about them saying like they're those jobs are like those uh entry-level jobs Mm -hmm. or entry-level companies honestly like i was one of the oldest people there and i was 24 you know Mm -hmm. yeah So I think there are companies that thrive off of that because they know you don't know any better. They could pay you little. They could give you like weak benefits and be like, oh, these are great benefits. Mm -hmm. And a
0: foosball table.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Like, Who are you to question this? Um, so there's that Like I Now when I go into roles Like I look for more Mature established companies And like Diverse companies Because that company In particular They will tell you We are diverse And they are They have all different Types of races But age diversity I'm also realizing Was like important Because someone Who's been working For 30 years Is not going to sit there And be like This is okay You know They'll speak up If they need to Right And also like I um, I appreciate companies Where minorities And black people Specifically Are in positions of leadership leadership mm-hmm. um and so i'm actually interviewing now it's funny enough um i wasn't looking to move but i got my pmp a while back and like recruiters have just been like blowing up my inbox absolutely so, so yeah it's like the companies i'm speaking to those are some things i look for so and i will hope that what's a
0: pmp by the way
2: oh a pmp is a project management professional certification mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> i don't know what more to say right? yeah
0: okay so then before uh, we go deep down in there how did you position yourself to say, hey, a PMP is my next step.
2: Yeah, so Booz Allen is a great company for continuing education. Because one thing I've realized as you get more into your career is like you can't get many more degrees. Like you don't have three PhDs and four masters, no. Mm -hmm. So the way to really set yourself apart is through certifications. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was on a project at the CDC, and it's funny because Booz Allen, like I, because it's project-based, depending on the project, like I'm doing all types of different things. In this project, I was a Business analyst, which is like a lower level project manager. So I like led a team of developers and like going through their day-to-day, making sure the project's on track, mm-hmm. the finances are good, and I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I looked into it and I was saying, like, um, this might be something interesting to get a PMP just to have it on my resume and say, like, I can manage a project. Yeah. Cause it's like the combination of strategy, healthcare, PMP. Right. It just makes you look better. Like, one thing I feel about like working is you should always make yourself invaluable. You should always make it so that. That when they leave when you leave they're like dang like we wish he had stayed like when I actually left Emory funny enough because um, I did dealt with both clinical and financial data okay they hired two people from my spot mm-hmm. you know and
0: you literally had two days. and so I was just going like with a smile
2: on my face you know yeah. so it, it's good to just make yourself important make yourself necessary because yeah. I think once again like that leads to job security yeah so
0: that makes sense and when people talk about certifications I'm definitely a long, I'm definitely in support of making, it, making yourself stand out, yeah. making yourself invaluable. But I'm also a huge proponent, if you're going to get a certification, having a long-term vision or mm. like, what does that look that like? That's funny. So I'm just curious, what does that look like for you? Did you consider anything past that part where you're like, hey, this is a good certification So we, there's going to be
2: some no contention on this one because I'm the exact opposite. Let's go. On. I am the exact opposite. So the way life has worked for me, yeah, because you know what people say, like, man makes plans and God laughs. Right. Like, I just feel like if you do what you need to do, things will fall into place. Mm. So sitting here right now, I can't tell you like I have a five year plan. Cause mm-hmm. I have in, you know, in addition to work, I have some business things that I'm trying to do. And it's like if any one of them take off, like I'm quitting. You know what I mean? Um, but it's like, the way I think about that is like, I'm doing what I need to do now. And like, things will probably fall into place.
0: Right. And
2: to be honest, it might not work for everyone. Like, I think I'm blessed. Like, um, even something like, like, I think I'm smart. And <laughs> even that, I think is a blessing. Do
1: too. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Um, I think it's a blessing because like, what did I do to be smart? Like, I was just born, you know, like I pick things up quickly. Yeah. Right. So with that said, like, I try to just do what I need to do. Like, okay, if I'm in school, let me do the best I can. On, like these tests, get a good grade. Yeah. If I'm doing my job, let me do the best job I could do. Yeah. And like things just fall into place. Yeah. For me, and it might not work for everyone, but that's just how it's worked for me. So with that said, I don't plan too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just like I told you, I'm interviewing now. I wasn't like, okay, it's been two years. Let me look for a new job. Yeah. It was like I'm doing my job, and someone hits me up on LinkedIn. i like, okay, let's see what they're talking about. I was like, oh, okay, this seems interesting. Let's mm-hmm. look into it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm different from that. Like my wife. And I, we argue about that sometimes because she's like, you know, you kind of just go, and I'm like, it's worked so far. Like, yeah. it's worked for me so far.
0: Okay, well, so and it's funny. You, we you say we do differ. We we do differ, mm-hmm. and I, I'm curious what you would think well so here's the thing when I was in uh, my first corporate job I used to say as long as you do stuff God will put his hands on it mm-hmm. and he will bless whatever it is that he wants to happen." and I also realized I wasn't as big of a planner back then mm-hmm. um, so you changed I, yeah I have changed since I've since I've been an entrepreneur and I also I, I think I even did a speech one time when I was a Toastmasters <laughs> about when God when you plan God laughs like God laughs at, at man's plan so I totally believe that But I believe the vision Mm. never changes. Mm. Like once I got vision, my plans change. You know what I mean? And I think even me being a perfectionist, I had to let go of that plan because it's like, Things don't always go the way you plan them, but the vision of like being able to help a community, being able to actually touch people's lives and change their socioeconomic status, that's always been the vision.
2: But you know, it's funny because that's not, the vision you're talking about is not like related to work necessarily. It's kind of like a life vision.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And it's like that's if work fits into that, great, but it's not necessarily about work. Cause usually when I hear that, people are like, do you want to be a manager and change, you know? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, and, and that's what I mean by when I ask about the vision of Got like you. who you want to be because um so when I have clients who come in and and I had a client one time who said like she wanted a a, um Uh, certification like quality assurance or something like that and I'm like so what do you you want to do with it even to the effect that like you know someone who has it and then you know what their life looks like yeah I'm more so just talking about what do you want to create your life to be Mm -hmm. and then how does the certificate play within like who you want to actually be in this world like yes I know a PMP could get you a certain management position but then it's also like what type of leverage do you want to pull because when I think PMP I think all these different departments that you can actually start to effect from a strategic standpoint
1: yeah,
2: and
0: then you can start to have an impact from just a, a centralized perspective. That is,
2: wow. And I, I think this might be an issue with me is like, I don't think that big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be honest, like when, even when I was a kid, like, cause maybe it's cause like, you know, the academics came, easy me, things like that. My focus was more on like family, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. It was like, I want to be a good dad one day. That's like the one thing that anyone, you know, if you ask me like, what's one thing like you've always wanted to be, I can't say I always wanted to be a data analyst or like, I always want to do this and this and that. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad one day, have a family, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and it's funny because, you know, in church, they talk about like purpose and things like that. I'm like, is everyone's purpose supposed to be something big? You know, like, that's a real question. Cause I'm like, is it possible your purpose is just to like impact the people in your circle and like inspire them to do bigger things, things like that. And I mean, I don't know. That's just like something like I think about every once in a while. Cause I'm not a big thing. And that might be an issue with me. Like, I, I mean, I guess I think big in the sense, like, I don't think what I do now in my career is it. Like, I don't think I'm going right. to work until I'm 65, retiring, all mm-hmm. that. Like, I have things going on in Ghana, which, like, I'm hoping I'll be able to do and, like, you know, impact, like, the area around in Ghana. Like, Absolutely. You know, like, give people jobs, give people work, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah.
0: Well, so in is, this conversation is going biblical because (laughs) when you think about Jesus Christ, he was Mm -hmm. a, he was a carpenter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you believe he was a prophet or, um, you know. We could agree on carpenter. Right. He was a, he was a a carpenter, right? Yeah. That was his tool. That was Mm -hmm. his, his, his training. And his purpose had nothing to do with technically carpentry. Yeah. So if we think about like your, your skill set and the way that you've developed it along the way, that strategy mindset actually is a big thinking Mm -hmm. like tool. Like you can come into an organization and think, systematically about how this whole ecosystem is going to fit together for this one project. Yeah. And then for you to say like you have this passion for going to help, for helping like Mm Ghana, that requires a level of, because you haven't been there in a long time in terms of like living, it requires a level of strategic thinking for you to be able to go in there and then and either that, yeah. learn whatever it is that you need to learn and then say, hey, here are the things that we need to consider. Yeah. So it sounds like purpose and passion is starting to come up maybe in this next chapter of your life.
2: You might be right. You might be right about that because I will say one thing people say about me is like I'm good about pointing out things like other people don't think about. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might say like I'm negative and like I point out like the holes. I'm like, you got to fill the holes before the, before the boat will sink. Mm-hmm. So that's that's actually very interesting. Like I haven't thought that far ahead but that makes sense and that might be there might be something there
0: absolutely I think in, in this whole you know philosophy that you know God does laugh at our plans mm-hmm. it's really to be open to saying God how do you want to use me today you know what I mean? And then being open and, and
2: to whatever he wants to exactly,
0: use. Exactly. Um, that allows us to think past where we wanna go. And and then I think he works through us. Yeah. So our vision is he he's gonna touch that. He literally will bless that. And and he can't he can't necessarily you know, this might be a topic of conversation, but like, I don't know if he puts the vision in there or we have a vision and then he works through us as human beings. I mean, I think
2: like you have to be aligned, you know? It mm-hmm. has to be like what he wants you to do what you want, or yeah, what he wants you to do and what you want to do are aligned more than anything. And to do that, you have to have like that mindset, like that godly mindset, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are people who say like uh, Jonah who like God told him to do something. He's like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it happens. But I think like when you are really operating and like purpose, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to you. So,
0: you said people often tell you that you have a gift for like spotting things out that people mm-hmm. don't necessarily recommend. Or, uh, realize, yeah. Do you ever, when you think about it, do you ever resist any of that type of like, you know, you should do this? And you're like, I'm not, <laughs> yeah.
2: What, what, uh, kind of,
0: what kind of things come up when people say, Hey, you, you should do this? And you're like, yeah, I'm not.
2: yeah, I mean, a lot of hey, that's like a lifelong thing. Cause like when you're a gifted kid, people are like, Oh, you could do this, you could do that. And it's like, at some point, I gotta do, I can't do everything, mm-hmm. you know, I gotta find what I wanna do. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's more so related to like entrepreneurship. Cause I have, like, I, I rent out a house and and, you know, my wife is like, oh, we should get more. Like, you should do this. Like, you're smart. You can do this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel it. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a thought. Like, it's definitely a thought. It's something, yeah. It's something to think about.
0: Okay. Yeah. And and I think you should also go with that feeling like, I'm not feeling it. So, yeah. if, if it's like, if you're not feeling it, then putting yourself in a situation that's not, uh, you know, moving you is, is really not necessary. Yeah, you don't want to force it. Because when entrepreneurship is like, when stuff is, <laughs> you know, you know, you got to have the, that that passion I for like houses. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, I guess to put a, a bit of a pin in that conversation, I feel like your gift in your strategic thinking, your data analytics, that's a tool. That's your mm-hmm. carpentry. And this next chapter, which I'm curious about with you exploring um, music and then other passions, what does that look like? And how are you putting yourself in positions to
2: explore those passions? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think just being open. Because I will say even if – because you because also, like, it's funny you're saying, like, Jesus was a carpenter, but that wasn't his purpose. It's not, like, he did no carpenter parpentry, his ministry. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it kind of had nothing to do with that. So...
0: <laughs> I can imagine him like, you know, you know, you got to trust you know, the Lord. That he, <laughs> nail goes into the side. you even think about it, it's like that
2: does... The metaphors he used was like fishing. He was a fisherman, like mm. Paul in the I mean, not Paul. Um, Peter in the words fisherman. But anyway, so yeah, I think like for me, just being open because I do, I have my hands on a lot of different stuff right now, and I'm open to any one of them working out, like going more into it. And it's, it's, yeah, like it's. Um, I feel like just having that openness is like yeah. everything I for me right now.
0: I agree. Yeah. And then even when you get through this next, uh, this interview phase mm-hmm. and then figure out where the cards are going to land there. Um, the the freedom having the freedom to even explore other things outside yes. of that will open yeah. up to you as well exactly Um I, I'm a I'm I think I'm a firm believer in like when we make a decision on what path we take God God does guide those steps yeah so even if you found yourself like between I mean what are the other things that were I mean if you don't mind sharing between mm-hmm. like music and you being a pianist you're you also do uh you also do you're you're also a pianist at school I mean at church, church right yeah. So what are some of the other things that you're exploring outside of, like, the professional you?
2: So outside of professional I me, mean, like, music probably is the biggest thing for me. Like, I love music and, like, when it comes to, it's funny because, like, I used to, I really got interested in playing the piano back in college because Emory just had a bunch of pianos on around. And, you know, <laughs> I'd, like, YouTube some tutorials and, like, do some stuff. But it wasn't until I started playing at church when I really started learning about, like, music theory. And the theory is everything. Hmm. The theory is everything because it's like, yeah, okay, you can play, like, um, what's that? all my life, Casey and Jojo. Right. But do you understand like the chords that went into that and like how to feel it, right?
0: Ooh, tell me more.
2: Oh yeah, like music theory is very interesting because, and that's what, like I have a good feel for music. I always have, like my family's very musical and so you realize like when it comes to piano when someone's singing and they're moving through, the chords kind of give the feeling. Like you can sing a note but if you don't have the chord like you don't get the full feeling of the song, mm. right? Or that part of the song. So learn, Music theory like that, and it was a because it was something like it's kind of like strategic management. It was so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Like I would read about things on Wikipedia, and I'm like, I don't understand anything. They're talking about dominant chords, subdominant, like mm-hmm. minor thirds. But then it's like when I started playing at church, and I was saying like, oh wow, when someone singing Amazing Grace. And, you know, they, um, like they hit this note and you just get this feeling, like this shiver. I'm like, Oh, that's like the sixth chord in this, in this key. It starts to come together. It starts to come together. So it's like, you get the feeling from that. So I would say like music, cause it's funny. Like I remember I did a, um, it wasn't a Berkman, but I did some personality test back in college where they're like, uh, it was for business school. They're saying like, what would you, what would your ideal, um, occupation be if like money was an issue? Mm -hmm. And they did that by like just making you answer questions like nothing specific I'm just answering the questions like real like honestly and it said like a musician I was like oh and I was like, oh, shoot, I do like music. Like I do, I have always had the like I used to sit in churches looking at musicians being like, man, I wish I could do that one day. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it was like something that developed late because I guess I didn't really think about it. Like I always, I was in band. I was like first trombone the whole time I was in band. I was really good, but I never thought of it that deeply. Actually until, truthfully, until that, uh, that assessment, I was like, oh wow, I really enjoy this. Like this is really what I want to do. And so for me, like playing in church, like for me, the best part of playing in church is like when you are when they're doing like worship, right? And you set the mood and you see like people are really getting in the spirit and like they feeling something. Like that that I unexplainable yeah. to know like you had a hand in like these people having this moment. Absolutely. You know?
0: It's it sounds more spiritual yes. than even though we started with the theory of music, yeah, and then of course we're both data analysts, so of course we both there's a there's a science behind, but there's the song, also art, and there's an art, exactly, and that's the spiritual piece of sounds like you're speaking to. So, yeah. and a lot of data analysts don't necessarily tap into that spirituality part, or even the the unseen or like feelings yeah. and yeah. things like that. So you're even ex- expressing a part of life that you know. I
2: mean, like me, me myself. Let's say you just like I just grew up in a vacuum. I think I would lean more towards artistic side than the analytical i'm i have a good bit of both i will say like the analytical stuff i had to develop because i because you know things came easy for me you know but math never came easy and it wasn't until grad school i was like math is not just like hard it's just you don't put in the effort Mm -hmm. and so that's when it started to click i was like oh i actually can do this but it's like me naturally i lean more towards like Art. Uh, music is my art, my main art, but I like, I lean more towards like the writing yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because it's like I was just like let me use this side for work and just live this other side. So. And
0: now you're merging the two. Like I would say, it sounds like you're merging the two. How exactly? Because you you spent the first half of your life. Mm-hmm. And I say half, like who knows how? <laughs> uh, let's say quarter.
2: <laughs> no, the first eighth of my life. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, the first eighth of your life. All right, let me get specific. we talking numbers here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you spent that first part of your life developing your craft. Yeah, it took work. It took effort, and it took more mind. It was less, you know. It was less spiritual, right? It was less feeling based, less spiritual. It was more of a practical, logical decision. Yeah, and then you're now, you know, well, since the aptitude test, and even now, you're allowing yourself to explore that that feeling part of the music, even though you understand the theory. You're doing it in church. You even we even played a little snippet, and I will put it in the video before we even got started. (laughs) And so you're doing that more and more and more, right? Yeah. So it sounds like we're in this place where you got the you've got the professional side of you, you got the certificate. And of course you're not gonna get like three different PhDs like yeah. you mentioned. So you've got that. Right. And now you're starting to like live a little bit yeah. and bring that passion in. And so your purpose, I feel like your purpose will bubble up naturally.
2: I'm preaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I've never thought about like that. But it's like, yeah, for the first time, like in a long time, it's like, I'm this, this part of things is settled. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, it's, we're just, we're, we're moving. Mm. We're moving like where we need to be moving. And it's like, now I can get more into the other side. Because mm-hmm. I think like that's why I've never thought too much about my passion or anything like that is because I've always been focusing on what I need to do mm-hmm. so I didn't allow that side to develop but it's like now I think I can and I'm like yeah that's, that's a thought this
0: is exciting to
1: ponder
2: this yeah. is
0: really exciting I can't wait as you ponder let me know <laughs> and if, if he tells me I might share okay. <laughs> so okay so um, I guess in as we as we kind of think about this last chapter, not last next I gotta yeah, stop yeah, yeah. with these definitive oh, yeah, statements do here <laughs> I do that for this next chapter, and I even want to pull from a little wisdom wisdom from your wife mm-hmm. when it comes to you thinking big, and even using that skill that you've developed to maybe think a little bigger about what vision would look like. Let's just be fun here. It doesn't have to be anything like specific, and we're not telling God, "Hey, this is what you need to make happen in my life." But if you were to be a consultant in your own life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we're thinking strategically, and we're thinking of all we what we do know in the industry, what we know about. Uh, did you say competitor yeah competitor like,
2: analysis and all that stuff right
0: you're coming into your own life and you're doing your own strategic analysis and we're thinking about our you know let's go five years here yeah what wow. does the vision look like? I
2: feel like in five years, the vision is definitely related to Ghana, for sure. Like I, like, yeah. Um, so I don't want to tell like what exactly we're doing there right now okay. on this cause it's still.
0: You can even tell us why the, why going back to Ghana is a passion for you.
2: So, so the reason why I like going back to Ghana is a passion. And I think it's something for a lot of people who came here, like a lot of Ghanaians or maybe even just Africans who came here or were raised here is like, you see the potential. This is a country with like, all the mineral resources, it has like kind people, great weather, the way they think about life is not like this, because one thing about America, and hopefully it changes, is like people live to work instead of working to live, right? And that's a hard mindset to change for like a whole society, whereas I feel like Ghana is the opposite. The issue is just like governance and like resources, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with me, with what everything I've learned here, like I would love to go back and just change things little by little, even if it's just like starting a company where I'm like... this is an ethical company. You don't give us kickbacks to get like, you know, what you need. We're not giving you kickbacks. We're just doing what we need to do. We're supporting the local business. We're giving people jobs, giving people money and like just building that up. Mm-hmm. And I would love like every time I go to Ghana, I'm just like, wow, this is like, I love it here, but there's so much potential. There's so much that could be improved and like so many lives that could be improved. And like, if you do this, this place would be like the greatest place on earth.
0: It already, it really is.
2: Yeah. I mean, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. Like even you went
0: dirt at- rolls and all that. Take- <laughs> but I, and i know there's some improvements to be made but yeah. the vibe is much different
2: there. the vibe is completely different like you really feel like you're home you really feel more comfortable and like people who live there because to be fair every time i went in, it's like on a vacation they're like it could be hard but even something like say racism you're not you're not you don't deal with like the heaviness of that just walking around right so i think like there's potential for there to be great things there and like I want to have a hand in that like my just play my role in that mm. and yeah it's funny like this whole conversation just thinking about just putting it all together and like all the things we talked about I'm, I'm thinking like I have a role to play absolutely I have a role to play you know? and
0: you have skills and tools that are needed exactly of course in Africa but like they, <clears throat> there are not a lot of people with that strategic mindset here who mm-hmm. can you know, place it in so many different areas and because you're interested in the arts mm-hmm. you bring a certain level of strateg- strategy to your your work in your life that mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. might not yeah so that plus your your passion plus your skills and your gifts and as you explore more about yourself you'll go in there and be able to just That's, strategize yeah. whatever that vision is i think you'll know exactly what they are definitely
2: yeah, it's it's funny because like I haven't thought about this in these terms, but it's given me a lot to think about. <clears throat> Excuse me, like definitely give me a lot to think about. Like I'm seeing because you know when you are yourself, <laughs> like you take what you do for granted. It's like yeah, I did it. Like you probably could too, you know. But it's when you hear someone else talk about these things, and it just makes it. I don't know. it's like yeah, it's it's, it's different. It's Absolutely,
0: different. what you're saying is I'm. I'm. Well, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'll but tell it you sounds you like you <laughs> are identifying the fact that it's a gift. Yes what you have as a gift and your unique life experiences mm-hmm. makes you uniquely qualified to, to do, do whatever this. that purpose is
2: and that's yeah that's the definition of purpose
0: bingo this, I think that's gonna be the name of this podcast today <laughs> this episode
2: <laughs> you know like, we we got it late but we got it
0: <laughs> right well thank you so much for joining me on this no couch problem. today I really right. enjoyed this conversation Same. if you guys have if you guys have Excuse me. If you guys have any questions about anything that we said today, because we've mentioned a lot of topics, high level and low level. And if you'd like to get in contact with Ben, Ben, how can they find you? Uh,
2: I guess Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, Yeah, those are main two.
0: Okay. I will definitely put the information on the video so you guys can catch it out. And I'll put it in the description below for our folks on the podcast. Until next time, I need you guys to tap into what your unique gifts are, just like we did here, because I think it will take you a far, 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 far long place. Until next time, I'll see you guys later. Peace out.
1: Thank you, guys.